Well, good morning, everyone. Man, it's good to see you guys. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and uh, I'm excited to continue this series. Um, before we do, can I just uh, address something? Wow, what a blessing to sing to the Lord. Amen. Um, here, here's, you know, if you're new here, there's something that you got to know. I, it doesn't matter where you came from, who you are, what you've done. Um, there's hope. You know, somebody walked in this morning, and somebody, I know somebody was joking around, and they told me, oh, this person, they're a sinner. I'm like, well, good, you're in good company. <laughs> uh, yep, because that's us. And the series that we're walking through this morning is a series about three kings that you can read about in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. Um, specifically, you can read about them in a couple of different books, but we're looking at them today in, in 1 Samuel. And it's designed to help us take a look at our lives and the choices that are in front of us and help us make choices that would be, be godly and wise and help us develop the kind of character that would keep us from some pretty giant pitfalls. I don't know about you, if, if you've lived enough life at this point where you'd say, man, I hit some pitfalls. You don't have to raise your hand, but can anybody identify with that? I, I'll raise mine because, because I can. Um, there can be some giant pitfalls that can keep you from being everything that God wants you to be and everything you can be. And, and this series is designed to help us develop the character that would keep us from those pitfalls. Last week we looked at the life of a man named Saul. He was the first king of the nation of Israel. And we talked about how you know Saul hit some major pitfalls because he, he came to life with a, a commitment to kind of obedience, but really it was only partial obedience, and partial obedience ends up in full disobedience. He, he came to life in, in such a way that he, he, his life was wrapped up with fear of man rather than fear of God, and he wasn't willing to take full responsibility for the things going on in his life, and it created problems. Today we're going to keep looking at his life, but I want to tell you a little bit about mine and a lesson that I learned a long time ago. Um, I've shared with you a little bit of my, my previous life in, in Kansas City, and uh, about 10 years ago, I bought something. It was the first one of these that I ever bought. I had no experience with it, and I had to learn a ton. Let me show you what I bought, okay? I bought this truck 10 years ago, okay? And um, when I bought it, um, we checked it all out. Everything was working fine. God really kind of allowed it to fall into our laps. It, it was great. It helped us with our business and whatnot. But I didn't know anything about a piece of machinery quite this big at the time. To say I was mildly overwhelmed would be an understatement. I drove it home. My wife and I went and paid for it. We were all kinds of nervous. You can imagine what a machine like this costs. I won't even go into it. It's not fun. Uh, drove it home. Uh, as, our, you know, as our business was growing, we thought we'll be able to use this and, and do even more, right? We got it home, and, and the very next morning, I went to drive it to our yard where, where we kept all of our equipment. As I'm driving it out there, something 
crazy happened. It's, it starts sputtering and losing power, and it just died and stranded me on the side of the road. This is day one. Lots of good feelings at that moment, right? Thankfully, somehow, it started back up, and I was able to get it to the yard, but I realized I had a problem. Day two, it did the exact same thing to me, so we started going through it. Now, you can see the size of this, you know, this truck. It's a, a, an international truck, and, and as I started going through it, I was quickly over, overwhelmed. The engine was huge. The possibilities of what could be going wrong were limitless in my mind. I'm not a diesel mechanic. Anybody here do that? If you do, you're my friend. I like you. <laughs> here, here, here's my point. As I started going through it and I was searching the internet and asking questions and, and, and looking for help and trying to figure out what was going on, I finally, after it took me, get this, it took me two months because I'm stubborn and I wanted to figure it out myself. It took me two months and I figured out what the problem was. Can I show you what the problem was? Here's what it was. It was this little thing. Now, it doesn't look little on this screen here, but it is about the size of my thumb in real life. What it's called is a cam sensor. Now, I don't care if you know what that is or you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter one bit. But it sticks on the front of the engine, and as the engine turns, it tells the computer, you know, when to send gas, when to send air, you know, all of those things, okay? A tiny little piece on this giant piece of equipment shut the entire operation down. Can you believe that? Now, I was really excited when I found out the price of that, you know, small little piece, but that, that's not the point. Here is the point. This little thing can shut a very large thing down. And when I look at the life of Saul, and when I, when I am willing to examine my own life, and start looking at what goes on and the decisions that I make and how I think and, and the way I view other people, I've, I've come to the place where I've realized that something very small, if left unchecked, can create a significant amount of damage. It's the same in our lives. That if we aren't careful, the small things, the things that we go, that's not really that big of a deal. The small things, the struggles that we have, the things that we think on, the things that we process and we just go, ah, whatever, no big deal. They can create huge, huge problems. And I want to talk with you about something that showed up in Saul's life today and something that I know has showed up in your life, even though most of us would probably say, well, I'm not really this kind of person, but as we examine this, I hope you'll approach it with an open mind. And if you're new here and you're not even sure about Jesus, I hope you'll look at this and go, man, at a minimum, this could really do damage to me. Whether or not I, I, I follow Jesus, this thing could really do damage to me. Here's the thing. We call it jealousy. Jealousy. You know what I mean, right? Um, maybe it's with your job 
and your job is really a struggle, but you have that friend who has their dream job, (laughs) and all they can talk about is how much they love it. And little by little, it begins to creep in, and every time they talk about it, it's like there's a cat dragging its claws on the chalkboard. I thought about playing that sound for you this morning. You know, kind of like that. And you find yourself thinking about it more and more. Maybe, maybe for you, it's actually with, with your marriage and things that you see going on in somebody else's marriage. And you're just like, why couldn't I be married to somebody like that? Who loves me like she does. Or who looks like he does. Or... Maybe for you, it's just your own appearance. You wish you had her hair or his strikingly nice salt and pepper beard. (laughs) Sorry, I had to say it. I just say that to make myself feel better. And then there's what happens on Facebook, and we see other people with their opportunities and their vacations and their trips and... And, and you are stuck being a stay-at-home mom, but the working mom goes, man, I wish I could be a stay-at-home mom. You see, it's a crazy cycle of no matter who you are or where you are, it can be very easy to be jealous and compare yourself to somebody else. And the thing is that jealousy really will create major problems in my life and in yours, if I let it. It created major problems in Saul's life. Let me show you the apex, uh, the, 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 the culmination of Saul becoming jealous, and then I'll walk you through the whole story, okay? 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 8 says this, Saul was very angry. I want you to remember that word because that word ends up being greatly linked to the idea of jealousy. Because the word really in in its context means to, to burn with inside. And that's what happens with jealousy is we start seeing people having things that we want or not having exactly what we want or, or, and, and we start to burn inside and we start to compare and we, we end up get, getting angry as well. Well, Saul was getting angry and this refrain, what refrain? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what we refrain. People were singing a song about him and a song about another man and they were praising him but they were praising the other man even more. And so he got angry. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? Saul is king. Saul has the kingdom. And he's jealous. How did he get here? And what happened along the way? And what did jealousy create in his life? Well, thankfully... That's what the text tells us. But in verse 8, to get us started, I want to show you the first problem and pitfall that jealousy will create in your life and in my life if I let it, if I let it grow, okay? And then I'll, I'll tell you the story. Here's the first pitfall. I'm going to give you two of them today. 
But the first one is this. Jealousy blinds us to what we already have. Jealousy blinds us to how good God's already been. Now, I won't act like everybody here has had some great life and everybody's had everything they want, and I won't act like you haven't been through tough stuff, but I will not deny the fact that no matter what you've been through, God has been good, and God has provided, and he's upheld you every step of the way. And if we aren't careful and deal with jealousy when it crops up, it will begin to blind you to just how good he is. It will keep you from thanksgiving and and rejoicing and praising him. And eventually it will turn you into a very bitter person who has very little and no friends. Jealousy blinds us to what we already have. Let me show you the story of Saul. This is a a narrative text, so I'm going to read a lot of things. And, and walk you through it as we go. So we have to go all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 16. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, you can. I'm going to be in 16 all the way through 18 today. But if we go back all the way to 1 Samuel 16 and start in verse 14, here's what we find. We find that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. Remember Saul disobeyed by, by partial obedience, and he didn't repent, he didn't acknowledge it. I mean, he had every opportunity in front of him to just, just call Samuel back. We talked about this last week, okay? And if you missed it, go and listen to it on the podcast. But we, he had every opportunity to call Samuel back and say, I was wrong, I, I did not obey, I did what the Lord told me not to do, please forgive me, I'm confessing my sins, I'm taking ownership, but Saul did not do that. And because he didn't do it, the text tells us that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. If ever there was a warning to people who say they love God to not say one thing and do another, if ever there was a warning for us to examine our lives and to repent, this is it. Because the spirit of the Lord left Saul. In other words, he wasn't guiding him, he wasn't guarding him, he wasn't protecting him. Saul's on his own. And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. What does this mean? I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure I understand all of this. But at the very least, the guidance, the protection, the leadership of the Lord was gone. Saul's on his own. And God just says, we're going to let you do your own thing and figure it out. And it doesn't go well. He goes on in verse 15. And it says this, Saul's attendants said to him, see, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Even the people around him noticed that something was wrong. And and what if his his, friends around him, his advisors, would just say, go back to God, repent. Turn your heart back to God. What would have happened? But that's not what they said. Look at what they said, verse 16. It says, let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the liar. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you. And notice this, you will feel better. Two things. They said, find somebody who can play the liar. It's like a stringed instrument, a lot like a harp, okay? Play some music. Why? So you'll feel better. In other words, rather than calling him to repent and deal with the problem, they said, we just want to soothe you. Listen, if that's all your friends, this is, this is for free, okay, just a quick time. If that's all your friends ever do is soothe you and they don't tell you the truth, get some new friends. Get some friends who have the courage to call you to repent, Okay? 
I don't like it when somebody tells me I need to repent, but I need it. And so do you. But they just say, hey, we're going to give you, you, we're going to give you something that makes you feel better. So what did Saul do? Well, the text says, verse 17, so Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. So somebody knew somebody that played well. So they said, one of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse, verse 18, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Here's the interesting thing. Saul doesn't know that the very person that he is talking about, that the servant is talking about, has been anointed to be the next king. Saul doesn't know it. Pretty much only David and Samuel did. So what did they do? Well, verse 19, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who is with the sheep. Hey, he can, he can help me. He can make me feel better. Send him. So then David came. Verse 20, so Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread. Imagine this, right? You get a message from the king. Hey, send David. To do what exactly? You know, I can imagine being a father. I'd be like, okay, we need to do everything to appease this man. Everybody already knows he's, he's kind of a little, you know, you know. And so he sends bread and a skin of wine and a young goat, and he sent them with his son, David, to try to make sure everything's okay. David gets there. Look at what happened. Verse 21. David came to Saul, and he entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. I want you to pay attention to this. Like in the beginning, Saul sees David. Saul is the authority. David's there. David is serving him. Of, you know, he likes Saul. Why? Well, be, or he likes David. Why? Well, you know, David's helping him, but, you know, David doesn't have anything for Saul to be jealous of yet, but he will. A lot of times we start out like this, like we see people and we like them and we care for them and we're surrounded by them and it's like, this is great. I like these people. I want them in my life, but the more we get to know them and see and we start comparing, we get jealous. It's absolutely what happened for Saul. In verse 22, the text tells us, it says, then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, hey, let David, allow David to remain in my service for I'm well pleased with him. I want him to stay with me. I want him to, you know, be, be involved in, in my kingdom. Verse 23 tells us why. Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play, and then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. Things really seem, seem to be going well. Now, I want you to notice this. Here's David, okay? David is playing the lyre. Relief is coming. The evil spirit would leave him. Saul seems to be doing better. Remember this, because there's going to come a time later when David's playing and things don't go so well, okay? 
I want to show you why. So if we fast forward a little bit, things seem to be going very, very well in chapter 16. Fast forward a little bit, and the Philistine army, a neighboring army, kind of a, a, a people from, from the sea, so to speak, right? They come together, and they march against the Israelites. This is a normal rhythm in, in, for many years with the Israelites. They battled with the Philistines, sadly because of their disobedience. So Saul has to muster his army, and they go out, and they draw up the battle lines. Saul's leading his men. The Philistines are coming against them, and all of a sudden, this guy, this you know, nine, potentially uh, over nine-foot man who's been tra- trained since the time he was an infant to do war, who, who is strong enough and able enough to hold a spear with a head that weighs 150 pounds. He's got armor that would outweigh every single one of us. And he challenges the nation of Israel. He says, I'm coming out. You send one man, whichever of us wins. Our God is God, and the rest of you lose. His name was Goliath. The Israelites were afraid. No one would accept the challenge, and along comes David. David shows up. He hears this man defiling the name of the one true God. David is sure and steadfast in his belief that God is God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as we read about throughout the Old Testament, that that one true God, which, by the way, I would tell you, is the very same God who 800 years later would send his son Jesus, born of a virgin, to live a life that I should have lived and then die a death I deserve to die, all for me and you. That God, David was convinced that he was God and Goliath was speaking against him. So David took a stand. More than likely, just a late teenager at this point in his life, he says, I will fight Goliath. And he did. Now, you've probably heard this story before, so I won't go through all of the details. But, but you, you know, a few that are important are that David goes out. He, he says, you cannot defile the name of the Lord. He took only a sling and five stones, and he battled this great giant. You, you've heard the story, maybe. The story goes like this. As he ran out into the battle, he, you know, people tried to give him you know, armor and all kinds of things, and, and he said, no, no, the Lord will, will fight. He took his sling, gets it going. I don't even know how he threw it. You know, I don't, that's not my thing. But, but he, he, he goes, and the stone flies, and it hits Goliath right in the center of the head, and he fell down, knocked out, concussed, and David took his sword and removed his head from his body. That's crazy. And then this happened. In 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 55, it says this, As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, By the way, Saul is head and shoulders above everybody else. Tall, strong, you, you know, like we said last week, tall, dark, and handsome. He's got all of it. Right? 
and he's sitting on the sidelines. Abner is a commander of the military. He's sitting on the sidelines. David is a teenage boy going into battle. Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. Saul couldn't even tell who he was. He's been serving him. Verse 56 goes on and tells us this. The king said, find out whose son this man is. So then, verse 57, as soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and he brought him before Saul with David still holding the Philistine's head. And he said, whose son are you, young man? I just imagine what this is like. Like He's just run into battle. Saul is probably very familiar with David, but he's so shocked that he can't even see who this young man is. He's so shocked. Like, this cannot be the little kid who's been playing, you know, a little guitar to make me feel better. But it is. David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. And I just wonder if there were just like light bulb, something going off in Saul's head. He's beginning to realize God's doing something here and I'm not a part of it. See, isn't, isn't that the, the key There's something going on someplace and maybe we don't feel a part of it so we get upset. Somebody's got something and we don't have it and we get angry. We start comparing and we get jealous. That's what's going on here. Now it gets worse. Saul starts looking at, 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 at David and he's going, man, like, I don't, I don't have what he has. He loses sight of what he has. Saul has everything. Do you get that? He's the king. All he had to do was go to God and repent. And he didn't. How often do we get to that same place where God has been so good to us, but all we can see is how God has been good to somebody else? God has has given us so much. He's been so patient. He's been so forgiving. And all we can see is that the grass is greener on the other side. No, friends. The grass is greener where you water it. Remember that. So it gets worse. In chapter 18 and verse 1, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. This This is Saul's son. So systematically, piece by piece, things are being taken away from Saul because he can't settle in and say thank you. And he loved him as himself. Verse 2, from that day, Saul kept David with him and he did not let him return to his family. Verse 3, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and he gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. Here's where we're getting to where we started. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistines, the women came out from all of the towns. This was a victory procession. And as they went through the towns, the armies marching, the women started singing. And what did they sing? 
They were singing and they were dancing with joyful songs and timbrels and lyres. And as they danced, verse 7, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So verse 8. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? Jealousy blinds us to what we already have. Can you identify an area where jealousy has crept in if you aren't careful It will cause you to miss what God is doing. It will blind you. So here's what happened. Saul had it all, but instead of of repenting and trusting God and being blessed, instead of being blessed by David and blessing him, he got jealous. Look at verse 9. And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Now, let me share with you the end of the story. Jealousy blinded him to the good that he had received, but jealousy did something else, and it'll do the same to you. Jealousy turned his friend into an enemy. And I would tell you, jealousy turns allies into enemies. It will. People who are for you, people who care about you, people who can be a blessing to you, And do life with you. If you give in to jealousy and comparison and all of that, you will turn them into enemies. Look at what happened. Remember, Saul Saul kept a close eye on David from that day on. Verse 10, look at what occurs. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre. This is the same thing, okay? As he usually did. It's the same thing as earlier. The evil spirit is there. David starts playing. It should calm him down. But a bit of foreshadowing, Saul is sitting there with a spear in his hand. Verse 11, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin him to the wall. A man who was serving him, a man who fought for him, a man who was close with his son, a man who, who eventually, we'll find out later, would, fell in love with his daughter, a man who, who was not trying to supplant him, he tries to kill him. How do you get there? How do you get to the place where you and I can do such wicked things? You may not hurl a spear, but you may write things online that are just as effective as a spear. You may not hurl a spear, but you might start a gossip train at your workplace. You might not ever hurl a spear, but you might get so angry with your spouse that it leads you to a place where you end up in a divorce all because you're jealous of the way people look at him or her or talk to them or whatever it is. Listen, you can destroy things quickly if we don't deal with jealousy. And so can I. He hurls it. But look at this. But David eluded him twice. Not once, but twice. David came back. He did it again. Like, come on, man. Verse 12. 
Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from him. Saul started comparing his life with that of David's. Saul didn't have Facebook. Saul didn't have TikTok. Saul didn't have Instagram. Saul just had the people right in front of him, but he was doing the same thing we do on all of those platforms he was comparing. And it wrecked him. So he sent David away, verse 13, and he gave him command over a thousand men, and David led troops in their commands. In everything he did, he had great success. Why? Because the Lord was with him. Verse 15, this repeating refrain, when Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. Saul is afraid. He's afraid. And I think that's at the core of it. We get afraid. Verse 16, but all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. So what did he do? He said, well, he took the idea, keep your friends closer, but your en- or keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. So that's what he did. He decided to say, hey, uh, why, don't you, why don't you marry my daughter, but I'll let you marry my daughter only if you'll risk your life to go and kill all of these Philistines and bring back proof to me that you killed these 100 Philistines thinking that he'd get him to die. He sent him on a suicide mission. So David went and did it, and he brought back proof of killing 100 Philistines. Verse 29, or excuse me, verse 27. They come back. They counted out the full number to the king so that David might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him his daughter, Michael, in marriage. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. How did this man go from being his servant, his friend, he he was a minister to him, he was a help to being his enemy? It's very simple. Jealousy. And I share this with you all here today because quite simply, the same thing can happen to us. And I think that in our culture today, in the 21st century, most of our jealousy stems from comparison. Somebody has something that I want. They have something that I wish they had. Their life looks better. She looks prettier. He, he, you know, he has a better job. It's the same thing. It's all comparison. But here's the problem. Jealousy stems from comparison And there is no win with comparison. You'll never win. Nobody wins. That's the problem. So what do we do? Let me leave you with this. Because I don't want you to think that the answer is, well, just, you know, fix it all yourself. You know, no. First and foremost, I would tell you, if you are finding yourself struggling with comparison and jealousy, turn to the Lord If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from every piece of unrighteousness. Why not start the rest of your day today by getting on your knees and saying, God, please forgive me. Learn from Saul. If he had repented, if he had gone back, if he had returned, things would have been different. But his life ends where he is an enemy of a man who loved and served him. His life ends in tragedy. 
where he dies on his own sword because of pride and anger and jealousy. So here's what I'm calling you to do. Calling you to be a people who follow Jesus, who live life like Jesus demonstrated. Philippians 2 shows it to us. He says this in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's, in other words, just the goal is not for us to just get what we want or drive towards what we feel we need, but instead in humility value others above yourselves. Verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It is very plain that the solution to our jealousy is to start serving and stop comparing, to start loving and stop wanting what they have, to stop, you know, looking at what we don't have, but instead giving thanks and being willing to praise God when other people get things that you and I want. So here's what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to a very specific form of application today. On your seats, when you walked in here today, is another little sheet. It looks like this. You can tell it's a card and there's an envelope. I wonder what would happen if you and I decided to be honest about where we struggle with jealousy. Now, here's where this gets tricky. I want to urge you to probably be careful to not send it to somebody in this room, (laughs) okay? But if there's somebody in your life outside of this room that you are struggling with being jealous of, why not do something to serve them and just send them a thank you note? Why Why not do these four things? Real simple. Show them to you. Write a thank you card. But before doing that, write down who you're jealous of and why. Put it together. Write it down. Say why you're jealous of them. Confess it to God. Why not write out a prayer of thanksgiving, thanking God for what you do have? That is a battle. That is something you can use to battle jealousy. And finally, make a list of the qualities in blank. That's that person that you're struggling with being jealous of. Make a list of the qualities in them for which you can be thankful and then commit to thanking God every time that person comes to your mind. That might be hard. Maybe they're already your enemy. Why not start, why not start something new and start treating them as a friend? This is how we combat jealousy. I'm telling you, the life of Saul shows us where there are a couple of pitfalls. And it shows us that if we aren't careful, a small thing, something that most of us would probably say, "Mm, I don't struggle with it. It's not a big deal. A small thing will very quickly create significant damages. We don't want that for you. Father, Thank you for Jesus and that you forgive. Thank you that when we struggle with sin, you are gracious and merciful. 
You are a kind and, and patient God, much more kind and patient than I often am. And so today as we sit here and we, we listen to your word and we see the life of Saul, it's my prayer, God, that we would humble ourselves underneath your mighty hand and repent and let you lift us up. God, help us to avoid the pitfall that Saul fell right into. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.